This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. Welcome once again to Blazing the Trail. I'm your host, Miriam Marston, and it's great to have you along for another episode as we continue to reflect together on the call to discipleship and to mission. So I know this airs on Catholic Radio, but if you're not a Catholic and you've stumbled on this show, well, I have a little breaking news for you because you are called to this friendship with Christ as well. So let the adventure continue, and this week, to help us in this endeavor, I have a chance to speak with Dr. John Bergsma, who teaches theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville. I really enjoyed hearing his story and how his own journey has influenced how he teaches his students today. As a professor of scripture, he really strives to make the study of scripture deeply meaningful and personal. And this means speaking from the heart from life experience, from the valleys and the mountaintop moments as well. As you'll hear several times during our interview, Dr. Bergsma shares vivid memories of experiencing the presence of Jesus. And I think it's important to share these experiences because they help to to leave some space and a door open to others who might have also sensed this presence of Christ, but maybe they couldn't wrap the words around it, or they've felt a bit sheepish or timid when it comes to talking about it. But this, my friends, is a critical part of evangelization, to be open and candid about where and when we have had encounters with the Messiah, the Son of the living God, as we hear St. Peter exclaim. You know, for instance, I distinctly recall the moment when the significance of the words from John 6 suddenly hit me. It's from the bread of life discourse, and, and Jesus is saying very clearly here that He is the bread of life come down from heaven, that his flesh is true food and his blood true drink. He says this repeatedly and with authority. And at one point, he asks the disciples, does this shock you? And I I know it sounds like a strange time to have this epiphany, but I was brushing my teeth one day as I was thinking about this passage. And all of a sudden, it was as though I was hearing Jesus speaking directly to me and asking the same question that he asked of his disciples, does this shock you? And I remembered what happened next in the gospel story that many people left his company at that point. The teaching was just too difficult to follow. And Jesus turns to the others and asks, do you also want to leave? And there, in front of the sink in a dorm room in Southern Virginia many years ago, I had arrived at that same crossroads that the followers of Jesus had come to all those many centuries ago. And my friends, there's really nothing too unique in my story. Countless numbers of men and women have arrived at that decision point, though admittedly, maybe not all of them while brushing their teeth. (laughs) The point is, and this is what Dr. Bergsma does such a great job with connecting the dots, is that for all of our thinking and philosophizing and reasoning, 
that at the end of the day, it's about coming face to face with the second person of the Trinity, because it is Jesus sent from the Father through the Holy Spirit who asks us, each and every one of us, very personally, very directly, will you come and follow me? And that's not just a moment for our mind. It gets right to the heart through our senses, which is why he can make us laugh He can make us cry, maybe at the same time. But isn't it a wonder to consider that we believe in a God who laughs and cries with us? So I'll let Dr. Bergsma share more about his own walk of faith and his insights into how we can carry out the mission of evangelization in our current time. Today on Blazing the Trail, it's a privilege to be joined by Dr. John Bergsma, who teaches theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Dr. Bergsma, thank you for being with us. How are you today? I'm doing great, and it's wonderful to be with you. Um, Could you tell us first a bit uh, about what you teach? Is there a specific area of theology that you find yourself teaching these days? Absolutely. I mostly teach scripture. Uh, both Old and New Testaments. So typically, um, it's Old Testament in the fall and New Testament in the spring. Uh, For all of our theology majors, we have 500 theology and catechetics majors here at Franciscan University. That's the largest undergraduate theology department uh, in uh, any Catholic institution in North America. And uh, that's very exciting. And then I also get to teach a few electives on, you know, say an individual book of the Bible, like the Gospel of John or uh, the Psalms or something like that. Awesome. Now, I imagine it's been a little different this past year. Are the students on campus? Are they mostly online? Is that, is that going okay? You know, it has been going okay. Thankfully, uh, it so happens that 2020 was the year for my sabbatical. Uh, so I haven't been teaching this entire calendar year, um, and uh, it was a great year to choose for a sabbatical, so that I just went out of the whole mess. But uh, yeah, the university um, did have to uh, shift to online learning at the end of the spring semester, and uh, thanks be to God, we did have on-site um, learning for most of the fall semester. Maybe in the last two weeks, uh, the COVID started to spike in our area. And we sent a whole bunch of students home uh, to finish up uh, online. But, you know, we had very little outbreak here and we managed to, uh, to finish the semester in good fashion. So we have a lot to be thankful for. Praise God. Well, Dr. Bergsma, I, I, you know, you might be, I think you're a familiar name uh, probably to a number of our listeners who, uh, have, have heard other interviews with you, who have read your books, who have seen the good work that you're doing. You know, I, I know our, those same listeners would also love to hear the story of how the Holy Spirit has worked in your own life. So you've worked hard to help others, you know, be attentive to God and the work of God in their lives. But we'd love to hear the story of what he's done in your life. So when and, and how did the truth and love of Jesus Christ really catch your attention and perhaps start to change the trajectory of your life? Oh, there's so many different points in my life where uh, the Lord made himself personally felt to me. Um, you know, I give all credit to uh, my parents who raised me in an environment of faith and you know, had me baptized you know, a week after my birth. Um, And I know, you know, I don't, I never remember a time in my life where I didn't have an awareness of God and I didn't have uh, a sense of, of warmth or, you know, loyalty and even love toward the person of Jesus. So I grew up with that, 
But nonetheless, you know, at age eight, uh, eight years old, I remember a Sunday school teacher um, challenging us to do what we called in, in the evangelical Protestant environment, you know, receiving Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. Yeah. It's an idea similar to um, like a spiritual communion, really, we would think of it as, as Catholics. Um, but I remember school room, which was uh, really, we, we met on the, uh, the public school that was on the Marine Corps base where, where my dad served. And I remember going out on the lawn of this elementary school just by myself and praying for Jesus to come into my heart. And uh, of course, he was there already through the sacrament. But uh, it, I had this experience of you know, intense communion with Jesus. I literally wow. felt lighter and had other kinds of sensations that people talk about wow. uh, from that uh, experience. And so that was beautiful at age eight. And then, you know, there were other times at age 18, praying for vocation and having a, a kind of an interior locution uh, wow. where the Lord, um, you know, has called me to pursue ministry, what we call the ministry of the word, or basically to become a preacher. Yeah. Uh, and then at other points in my life as well, um, you know, the University of Notre Dame, uh, the first time I visited the school, which was where I would come into the Catholic Church eventually. Okay. Um, but I had a physical sensation, you know, when I stepped on foot on the campus and you know, had this feeling of lightness that something was special about this place, yeah. something good was going to happen. I remember going to the Basilica of the Sacred Heart at the University of Notre Dame and falling on my knees 18 months before I became Catholic, I was still a Protestant pastor at the time, wow. uh, falling down on my knees in the Basilica of the Sacred Heart there and, and asking God to allow me to come to this university uh, because I was so attracted to the beauty uh, of that place, which is, you know, God calling me into his church, uh, even though I didn't foresee that. So, um, you know, Miriam, there's just been so many uh, places in my life where uh, the Lord has touched me like that. And I I think that's true for a lot of us. We can isolate maybe one or two major incidents, but it's not just one thing. It's, it's a journey with the Lord through our lives. Yeah, and it's the, the examples that you raise, those moments which are so beautiful, uh, it's, it's really kind of coming through almost the, the senses themselves, you know, and that, that just God works that precisely and that concretely and that tangibly in our lives. So I am sure alongside all that, there were probably... Um, an in, there was probably an intellectual dimension to this too. I imagine you were probably doing a lot of reading and talking to others, but what you're describing is something that goes even kind of deeper. Uh, yeah, could you t talk a little bit about that, just about the intersection of your academic background and where that led you, um, how that intersected then with how you were personally experiencing the movement of God in your life? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a, a complex interaction you know, our experience of God and then the intellectual component. And they, they kind of go hand in hand. It's, it's never just one or the other. Um, yeah. when, I, when I went to the University of Notre Dame, uh, I was experiencing a lot of spiritual and uh, even like emotional uh, turmoil mm. because, uh, because of my distress of, of not being able to make sense of the Christian faith as I was raised in it, you know, so that so certain fundamental things that we took for granted as Protestants, like sola scriptura or salvation by faith alone, uh, sola fide, those things weren't making sense to me. 
Um, I saw many passages of scripture that disagreed with the teaching of salvation by faith alone, for example, and I didn't know uh, exactly what to do uh, with that. And on the other hand, um, uh, I I was was realizing due to my experience in church work that, um, you know, sola scriptura or uh, the scriptures alone weren't enough. It wasn't enough to keep that unity of the church uh, that Jesus prayed for in John 17. And so I was like, Lord, this isn't making sense. You know, how I've been taught to understand the faith and it doesn't seem to jive with what I actually read in the scriptures. And uh, we look around ourselves and we see the church broken up into so many different denominations. And so I I was really, you know, and that has an effect also on your emotional life and on Right. your prayer life and so on, not being able to make sense of these things. So uh, that was all of a piece. And, uh, you know, arriving at the campus in Notre Dame, obviously it was very providential. Uh, and the Lord had somebody he wanted me to meet there, uh, Michael, Michael Dauphiné. I don't think he'd mind if I mentioned his name. He <laughs> uh, now teaches at the University of, uh, or Ave Maria University in Florida. Uh, he, he eventually would become my sponsor into the church, but wow. I, of course, didn't realize that at the time. I just met this guy, and he was so friendly, and he was so full of the Holy Spirit, and he knew so much about theology, and he knew so much about church history, and uh, I was just immediately attracted to an individual like that, you know, so smart, so full of the Holy Spirit, and Catholic, and I didn't understand how can you get, you know, intelligence, uh, the Holy Spirit and Catholicism all together in one person without creating some kind of explosion, you know? Um, so that, uh, but you know, it shows that, that, you know, he, he seemed like he had intellectual answers for me, but, but he was a friendly person. You know, he was, yeah. uh, came over, helped me watch my kids when my wife was out of the, out of the apartment, um, you know, offered to, you know, run errands for us as we were moving in, you know, so it's, yeah. it's the whole package. It's what we call incarnational, yeah. uh, you know, just as Jesus was just, uh, you know, the one who had all divine wisdom, but he was also a friend and yeah. a, a companion and a, a compassionate one who would reach out and touch people and heal them, you know. So, you know, that's how God reaches us. He, he reaches us as full persons, our emotions, our intellect, even our bodies. Right. And then, absolutely. And then we're uh, really then equipped in our faith, ideally, to go and reach others too. And I'm, I'm curious in your own work of teaching theology, how might you integrate that, that if you're, if you're teaching scripture, for instance, or um, yeah, a class on a gospel, um, how might you integrate your own experience um, of how you, yeah, grew in your own faith in that way? How might you bring that back into the classroom and share that with your students? Well, all the time. Um, I mean, uh, good teaching has to come out of the heart. And uh, so as we work through the scriptures, um, I'm always explaining to my students why these passages of the scriptures are personally meaningful. Yeah. Um, you know, by, you know, talking a lot about my journey into the, into the Catholic church, because mm-hmm. especially as we study the new Testament and certain parts of the old as well, mm-hmm. different, uh, different scripture passages were, were instrumental at different stages of my journey from outside the Catholic church to mm-hmm. coming in and dis- deciding to receive the sacraments and be reconciled with the church and so on. And so, 
you know, as we go, uh, you know, for example, most spring, uh, most spring semesters when I'm teaching the New Testament, um, you know, our journey through the Gospels and the letters of Paul is also uh, a, a story of my own journey into uh, the Catholic faith. And, and we stop off on these different passages, you know, like um, uh, our Lord telling Peter, you know, you are the rock and upon this rock I'll build my church. And I'll just yeah. tell, you know, I'll just tell the students, this is how I struggled with this. And this is what yeah. I thought of it before I was Catholic. And this is, you know, so they dawned on me, this is what this means. And you know, Jesus, I could see that Jesus was establishing Peter as the chief yeah. rabbi for the new covenant and giving him this authority to explain and interpret uh, the divine law for the new people of God that he was forming in the church. And so, yeah, it, you know, thanks be to God, you know, I, I'm, he's giving me this gift of being able to use my life experience as uh, a means and a medium for explaining to, uh, you know, these Catholic young people that we get at Franciscan University, just how important these scriptures are for understanding our, our journey of faith. I love that. I love how you're able to weave that witness and that testimony into the teaching. And I'm, I'm sure that is very powerful and has an impact on your yeah. students. Thank you for sharing that. For those who are just uh, tuning in, I'm speaking with Dr. John Bergsma, who teaches theology at the Franciscan University uh, of Steubenville. Um, you know, with the time we have left, I, I, switching gears a little bit as we sort of survey the landscape, you know, as it were these, these days, you know, and we, we were talking a little bit in preparation uh, for this interview. And you said, you know, in, in reality, there are lots of reasons maybe to be discouraged. Um, how might we respond then as Christians uh, living out our faith today um, to kind of that, that spirit that's among us, a spirit of division, a spirit of hostility, all of that? How might we respond and call attention to the remedy, which is Christ? Could you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, you know, we don't get to choose the time in church history that we live or the culture or the place. Um, <clears throat> in some places in the world, the church is growing rapidly and it increased in Africa. That's the case. You know, so if you're living in Nigeria, <coughs> Kenya, different places there, um, there is a lot of evangelism going on mm -hmm. and a lot of vitality. Uh, in our culture in the U.S., uh, we're, you know, we're seeing things shrink. You know, the institutional church is getting smaller and our influence as society is getting smaller for a variety of reasons. And that's, you know, that can be psychologically discouraging to be a Christian during those times and periods and places in the church where there's a contraction going on. What I would say about that is we can't give in to a spirit of sadness. Uh, St. Osmaria said that um, sadness is an ally of the enemy. It's really an ally of, of Satan. Okay, so he, he wants Christians to get downhearted and to focus on, oh, you know, the parish is getting smaller or, uh, you know, we don't see that the influence of the faith in culture like we used to, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but we can't give in to that. Okay, what we need to do is go deeper in our prayer life. Um, <clears throat> Uh, focus on our relationship with God. Our, you know, our joy is not going to come from external circumstances or uh, from external successes. Our joy has to come, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> from that relationship with Jesus uh, that we live on a daily experience, um, celebrating the sacraments, experiencing him in uh, Eucharist and uh, reconciliation and in the other sacraments. 
So we have to really go deeper into our life of prayer and then also um, really draw from saints who've lived through hard times. Saints like St. Thomas More, who wrote a lot of, has a lot of spiritual reading that we can really access and meditate on. Uh, he kept his joy through some very discouraging circumstances, obviously, in uh, the English Catholic Church. Also, more recent spiritual writers, like uh, a favorite of mine is um, our Archbishop uh, Francis Xavier Wynne Van Thuan. He was the Archbishop of Saigon uh, when Saigon fell to the uh, communist North Vietnamese, and then he was placed by the, by the communists in solitary confinement for 13 years. And he wrote some wonderful spiritual works while he was in prison and then afterwards as well that really show us how to continue to experience joy in in the Christian life, even when everything externally seems to be, you know, contracting or going wrong. Yeah. So I think that's very important. And then we have to we have to start from where we are, from those around us, our family members, our friends. Yeah. And really do what's traditionally been called friendship evangelism. That is to say, befriending people and then through our personal witness, uh, really sharing who Christ is and what Christ means to us uh, in a very personal level. That's, a, that's the long-term goal. It's not fast. It's not flashy. It doesn't result in large numbers. But really, you know, studies show that that's, that that's the only means of evangelism that makes a long-term difference in other people's lives. It's how yeah. I was brought into the church, and it's really when you when you scratch people and, and find out their personal story, almost invariably, it was a strong friendship that brings them into uh, the church, and that's what we have to focus on. Oh, that's It's so true. We've heard this story over and over again, because if, if what we're ultimately being brought to is a friendship with Jesus Christ, wouldn't it make sense then that, yes, the doorway to that would be a friendship with another to kind of come see the face of Christ in another. Um, and again, getting to that, uh, the intellect, it's so important to come through thinking about it. And, and one can can think our way through a lot of these things, but for it to really kind of settle into our very kind of DNA, you know, mm-hmm. that this is the, the life, the friendship that I'm ultimately called to, uh, it has to feel pretty real, <laughs> you know. Yes. Um, and it sounds like the the reality of faith. It's just something you could really kind of like reach out and touch. Um, and I think about this a lot in, in recent months, just because we've gone so virtual, just the challenges that that presents to, to being that friendly face to another. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I, I know it's been harder to kind of connect to people uh, through screens, through phone calls. Um, but with that being said, are, do you see any opportunities that might come out of these challenging months that we're still going through? Um, what might be some of the opportunities presented to us on the other side of this, especially because we want to make sure that people are coming back to their, their, their spiritual homes and their faith communities? Um, what opportunities might you get a sense on the horizon? Yeah, so I think one of the, the um, you know, silver linings of the COVID experience and the, the, the virtual, the, the being forced to go virtual thing is the, um, the sense of community that this has created in the church around the world, especially the Catholic church, because we truly are a worldwide church. Yeah. So, for example, a friend of mine uh, runs an apostolate in Australia uh, and he did a, um, 
like a 33-day rosary pilgrimage, uh, praying the rosary every day and having different speakers on in a virtual environment. And he advertised this literally to the entire uh, English-speaking Catholic world, wow. uh, which is very large. You know, there's English-speaking Catholics on every continent, yeah. uh, you know, many English-speaking African Catholics uh, in India, the United States, right. Canada, the whole former uh, British Empire, etc. And he had 30,000 participants literally from all around the world you know, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, you know, New Zealand, you know, you name it, the U.S., uh, participating in this uh, rosary pilgrimage with, you know, these Catholic speakers and, you know, great content, great prayer. So, you know, th that's a remarkable phenomenon, and that would never have happened if it had not been for COVID and being forced to go virtual. You know, you think about the, you know, 30,000 Catholics all around, literally around the globe, Right. kind of experiencing that fraternity of taking a spiritual journey together, praying the rosary with, with each other together, you know, for an, for an entire month. So I think, you know, things like that are really a, a beautiful um, experience uh, of our faith, of, our, uh, of the reality of being the, the body of Christ um, that, you know, we, we would not have had had it not been for these circumstances. So, yeah. you know, to, to kind of sum up, I think that, Although this whole experience has, you know, uh, really made it impossible to do certain kinds of ministry and to reach out to people in certain kinds of ways that we're used to. On the other hand, there's these other opportunities that are arising and that we're discovering uh, that have been refreshing and created bonds uh, across continents and across oceans. Yeah, and it could be that in the future we're, we're doing a bit of both. So we return to having, you know, all the things that we would do, you know, pre-COVID, but why not have a, a virtual pilgrimage that brings together thousands upon thousands of people across the world? And so kind of this um, really kind of reminding Catholics that we're, we're part of something even bigger than what we, can, what we can see, you know, bigger than my, just my church building you know, down the road, which is awesome. And I don't want to trivialize that at all, but it's part of something that is, is much bigger and the same faith that is touching the lives of people across the world. Dr. Bergsma, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, thank you for all that you do to help bring people to a, a deeper understanding of the Catholic faith. So God bless you. Thank you, Miriam. It's been great to be on with you. In the second part of our interview, as we were tackling some of the current challenges that our world and our church are facing, Dr. Bergsma makes the important point that we don't get to choose the time or the place that we live in, and that we cannot give in to our frustration or even sadness and despair at our present situation. Now, being the Tolkien fan that I am, it was hard not to think of that scene in The Lord of the Rings when Frodo, who feels the heavy weight of his responsibility, says that he wished this hadn't happened in his time. To which the ever-wise Gandalf responds, So do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. These past months, I know many, including myself, have echoed some version of what Frodo said. So many are exhausted, distressed, impoverished on a number of levels, materially and spiritually. But I want to leave you with Dr. Bergsma's encouragement that... In those moments, to return more intentionally to prayer, to focus on the joy that only God can offer, 
and to remember that God has a plan. He does not abandon his children. I've said this to a number of people in recent weeks that I am confident that the Holy Spirit is working something beautiful behind the scenes. So with that, my friends, I wish you a good week and please join me next time as we hear more stories about what God is doing in our world today. Until then, stay well, stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.